Oh, we're going to hear from the word before we come to this communion table. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 20. Uh, one of the things that I love about the Easter season is that it is a season. Uh, more than just one Sunday, we get 50 days to begin to do the hard work of wrapping our heads and our hearts around the resurrection. And uh, this Sunday, the second Sunday in Easter, is traditionally known in the church as Low Sunday. And I think that's for two reasons. One, church attendance goes down because everybody gets all psyched up for church. Um, and number two, and really the real reason for Low Sunday to be called what it is, is that this is the Sunday that we hold the doubt of Thomas. So we're told very early in the story of the church and the resurrected Christ and his friends that people were struggling to wrap their heads and their hearts around resurrection. So we're going to spend a few moments with our brother Thomas, and I pray that you would be able to find parts of your own heart and story in this story, that rather than moving away from Thomas, we would move toward him and allow him to teach us something. My prayer today is that you would hear the heart of Jesus as it manifests toward you when you experience doubt. Because doubt is the part and a part of every human experience. We're finite creatures, and so doubt is a part of our experience, and Thomas gives us some permission there. So I'm going to read, pray, and then spend just about 10 minutes or so looking at this text with you before we come to communion. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Them, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask you to help us to think and experience truth in the Bible today, God. Not just truth that lived in the story of Jesus, your interaction with Thomas, but the kind of truth that would come and meet us where we're living right now. Give us insight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to walk through this text and just highlight a few things that I think would be really important for us to consider. First is just the beauty of the resurrection. Jesus appears to his friends on the evening of the resurrection. And we talked about this on Good Friday and again on Easter. Uh, Friday during the day going into the evening and Saturday, this was not a time of waiting with expectation for Jesus' friends. They did not expect the resurrection. They weren't just sort of thinking come Sunday, great things are going to happen. They were 
uh, discouraged. They were confused. They were devastated. They were going through a massive tumult because Jesus' friends believed in an eventual resurrection, one that would happen at the very end of time, but none of them had an inkling that it was going to happen in the middle of time. None of them saw Easter morning coming. That's why it was so stunning for them. But Jesus, upon his resurrection on Easter morning, and this text begins on Easter night, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, one of his friends, and he sends Mary back to the disciples. And he says to Mary, tell the disciples that I've arisen. And so the disciples have spent the whole day thinking, what on earth does this all mean? They're like daring to hope, struggling to hope. And it was at nighttime where they're locked away in a room because they're afraid that what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. That's what for fear of the Jews means. And they're locked away behind barriers and Jesus bypasses the barrier and he finds them. And this is where the early church was wrestling with what in the world was going on with Jesus because in some ways he was the same, right? Like nail marks in his hands and in his side and his voice was the same. But then in other ways, he was very different. He could walk through barriers, doors. Jesus was in a very real sense at home, both in God's world and in our world. He was, to to use the imagery of C.S. Lewis, uh, comfortable on both sides of the wardrobe. He was living in this space of fluidity between worlds as a fully embodied savior. And the thing I love about this part of who Jesus is, is that when the disciples are hiding, Jesus is able to find them. And so today, if you find that there are barriers at play in your own life, barriers that keep us hidden away or insulated, barriers that are driven by fear or by uncertainty or doubt, the heart of Jesus, the heart of God toward us is to move and bypass, to move toward us and bypass our barriers. He gets to us. And so what Jesus does on the evening of the resurrection is he breaks through barriers and he finds his hidden friends. And when he finds them, the second thing we see in this text is that he speaks peace to them and then he breathes on them and gives them a a gift of the Holy Spirit. And some of us have a view of God that tells us something like, if I'm hidden, if I'm afraid, if I'm insecure, if I'm barriered, if God were to find me, he would say, what in the world is wrong with you? Why don't you have it together? But when Jesus bypasses barriers and he finds his friends in a place of fear and uncertainty, his word to them is a word of peace. The word that he speaks to them is not shame, it's peace. It's I am with you. And then he breathes on them, the Bible tells us, and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now for all of these hidden away cloistered, afraid friends, they would have immediately known what that was telling them. As good Jews, they understood that breath was what animated the dry bones in Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel 36, that death was overcome by life. That word in the, in the Hebrew language of the Bible for breath, pneuma, it's a word that meant, ruach meant breath, wind, life. It also meant spirit. 
And when Jesus breathes on them, which is going to then happen again at Pentecost, where the the disciples, again, hidden in an upper room, are going to receive the wind of the Holy Spirit, that that life of God moves us from being fearful and hidden to being more embodied and more engaged. Jesus speaks peace and the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't speak shame to his hidden friends. And I believe it's really important for us as we live our lives to recognize that when we're in places where we're hidden away, where we're less out there and less available and less present, less confident, less clear than we even want to be, that the instinct of God is to pursue us and to speak peace and to empower us and to bring dead parts of us back to life. But the third thing we see in this text is that Thomas wasn't there. Like what a terrible time to be out buying milk. I actually don't think he was out buying milk. I think Thomas was probably wandering the streets in his sadness. And a lot of us can identify with this. A lot of us have been through seasons where you know you're not doing well and you just have to get out of there sometimes. You just have to get out of the space that you're in because you feel like you're just like a a wet blanket bringing everybody down or maybe all of us together are sadder than us on our own. I remember going through a really hard time years ago in 2018 uh, and I was in Thailand, in Bangkok, Thailand doing doctoral field work. And I was just like having an awful internal time. It was not a good time. And I remember probably against all wisdom, you know, leaving the guest house in Bangkok and just walking the streets of Bangkok by myself because I just needed to get out away from a bunch of people who were, um, frankly, you know, when you're not doing well, it's like sometimes you just get overwhelmed by people. I think that's what was going on. I think that Thomas was just overwhelmed. He was trying to imagine what in the world did the last three years mean? And the disciples told him, We saw Jesus, and Thomas was like, I'm not going to believe this until I see it. Did you know that doubt is, if you're a human, which I think, like looking out, I think we all are, um, doubt is a a non-negotiable reality in your life. And many of us don't want to acknowledge feelings of doubt because we're afraid that it means that we're bad or that we don't really believe. But doubt is normal. Thomas doubted. Thomas did not know what to make of this. He did not know what to make of the last three years. He was just like, I don't know what to do with all this. There are times in my life where I have doubts. There are times where I think, is, I, is this all real? C.S. Lewis once said that even as a Christian, he had moments in his bed where he wondered if he had just made the whole thing up. But then he remembered that when he was an atheist, he had moments where he wondered and worried whether he'd made that up. Doubt, it happens, y'all. Doubt is not a disqualifier. Doubt is what happens when we don't know whether we're right, when we acknowledge how small we are and how big these ideas about God and the world and the universe are. And Thomas doubts because he just wasn't there. He did not have access to an experience that his closest friends had access to. And all of us sometime or another live in our lives and we feel like we're lacking some access to a settling or a a stabilizing experience that somebody we care about has had. And he just feels turned up. So he's out 
wandering the streets and he misses it. And then after one week, Jesus shows up again. And I just want you to stop and think about that for a minute. If Jesus were as codependent as you, he would have showed up five minutes later and been like, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. Jesus would have been lingering by the door, waiting for Thomas to come home. Hey, hey, hey. But Thomas cooks in this tension for one week. And we don't like this. I don't like this. I wish it were another way. I wish that God would run to alleviate all of my bad feelings and your bad feelings really fast. I wish that he did and he would, but what we see here is that Jesus waits a week and Thomas has got to live in that dissonance for a week. His friends are all pumped. He's coming back any other second. We're going to get to, you're going to get to see him again. And Thomas is just like in that place of feeling dissonant, hoping and then not hoping believing and then not believing, having faith and then doubting. And then after one week, Jesus shows up. We sing a song around here where I think there's a line that says something to the effect of God is working in our waiting. And I just want to say to you that he's working in your waiting, in mine, that there are times where we don't want to wait and yet God is working in that gray space, that middle space. Thomas was living in the middle in the middle space. And three things happen when Jesus shows up to Thomas, and I think these are important for us to hear. Jesus is, is, is giving it this space of a week, so there's like a deferral. Thomas remains in the house. He doesn't leave. He doesn't take his bags and pack them and go home. He doesn't say, well, forget it. If I don't get what y'all got when you got it, I'm out of here. He sticks in there. And I think that there's something here for you. And for me, it's like what Mary Magdalene did at the tomb. She stayed when she would have left. She stayed. Thomas stays. He doesn't run away. He doesn't let uh, doubt isolate him. He doesn't let shame. He doesn't begin to believe lies about how he's different or inferior to everyone else. He just hangs in there in that awkward in-between place. And maybe for some of us, if you're in a season of doubt, maybe the bravest thing you can do is just stick in there. Just stay in the house like Thomas for a week. As I look back on some of the darkest days of my own life, I think the most obedient thing I did was just to not run away. When our kids were little, we told them, if you get lost in the Walmart, just sit down. Because the dumbest stuff we do when we get lost is start panicking. And we told our kids, like, we'll find you. And in some very real way, Thomas just sat down in the Walmart. And, and you know when you're in the Walmart of life. <laughs> Walmart's a bad place, y'all. <laughs> and we know when we get turned around and we know when we get afraid and we know when we're feeling all these feelings of doubt that start to balloon and we know when we start to catastrophize and fatalize and all of that stuff and Thomas was doing all of that y'all but Jesus met him because he just stayed in the house what does it look like for you to stay in the house when you're disoriented man I come here I come to this table, 
I eat this meal, whether I'm feeling good or not so good, because it keeps me in the house. It keeps me connected to you. Keeps me connected to the family of God. Thomas stays in the house, and then ultimately Jesus, he comes and he finds him. And I love what Jesus says because Jesus comes to Thomas, and again, he speaks peace. So going back to that second movement. But then Jesus, proving to Thomas that he was hearing him, offers him access to his broken body his hands and his side. So while not physically present, Jesus comes to Thomas and he speaks to Thomas, inviting him to believe, showing him that he was more present to him than Thomas understood and imagined. And if you think about your own life, as we walk further into this Easter season, Jesus is always inviting you and me to believe. He actually turns, Jesus does, to you and me In this text, he says to Thomas, blessed are you because you've seen and believed. And then he he sort of peers out over the text to you and me in the 21st century and says, blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Easter is a time for you and me to believe that the Lord wants to root us and anchor us in something more sturdy than us, in something bigger than your own doubt. I'm so thankful. So thankful for Thomas's story in the early days of Easter because it gives me the space and you the space to admit our own confusion, frailty, and doubting and recognize that Jesus is moving toward us in those spaces. If you're able, let's stand together. Every Sunday we come to this communion table. Uh, we come to be fed by, by God. We come to acknowledge that we can't do this on our own, that Jesus feeds us with his own life. We're going to do that. But before we do, we're going to quiet our hearts. And maybe now is the space for you to silently in this space both confess your sin, but also maybe it's an opportunity just to acknowledge the places where you feel some doubt and some confusion. I find that in my own life it's very helpful to name things that God already knows, but I think he wants to know sometimes that I know. So now let's confess our sin, but let's also just silently confess the places where we feel maybe some doubt, some confusion, and then we will read the Bible, we'll pray together, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer, we'll come to communion, but first let's be still in meditation and confession.